Can that young man play that drum or what? Holy cow, Braden, way to be. You know, we get this idea that, uh, you know, when we grow up, then we're going to be a, a part of the kingdom of God. And the truth of the matter is, you're a part of the kingdom of God as soon as you surrender your life to the kingdom of God. And at that point, that's when your gifts um, are available or should be available to the kingdom of God. And, and wow, um, I watched him practice yesterday for the Holly Jolly Christmas, and I watched him play at the Holly Jolly Christmas. I watched him practice this morning. I watched him play already this morning, and now I've watched it again. And I just... Just, I, he is just absolutely amazing. Now, let me just say, it is a blast to watch all of our worship team, not just the ones that are up here, but the ones that aren't up here as well. And, and those of you that played into the Holly Jolly Christmas, it is so incredible to watch you give your gifts to God, uh, to give your gifts back to God in that way to, to just celebrate, just to celebrate the birth of this baby. Now, today I'm talking about joy. And so, watching him beat on his drum and getting all excited. It's like, man, give everybody a drumstick. Let's all, but you all beat on each other. And so we're not going to do that part. But watching him do that, there's just something that, you know, inside of me just goes, come on, do it, do it, make it go. And I, listen, drums me, no. But him, yes, and isn't that exciting? Today I want to talk about the holly jolly spirit of Christmas. And today it's the holly jolly spirit of joy. The joy that is in the Christmas story, the story that is, or the joy that is going on here. And, and I want to talk about what that joy looks like. Today, um, joy is a promise. When we talk about joy, joy is a promise. But it's the anticipation and the belief, the expectation, it's the being sure of what we hope for and certain what, of what we do not see part of the promise. It's the part that says, no, I know. Because God gave me a promise, and therefore, I know. And so I want you, as, as we go through this message that I want to share with you, and this is our Christmas message, okay? This is our Christmas message. As we go through this message, this whole uh, uh, concept of joy has to be grounded in this one thing. The strength of a promise is based in or on your faith in the promise maker. You see that? The, the, the strength of a promise is based on your faith in the promise maker. Now, I don't know about you, but, but somewhere in your life, I'm sure that somebody has like, made you a promise and fell through on the thing. Don't worry, I'll be there. I've got my part. I know what I'm supposed to do. You don't have to worry about it. And then they don't show up. And yes, you do have to worry about it. And they promised you that they would be there. And they, and they failed. They bailed. And, and, and that's not the way it's supposed to be. Some of you are parents in here, and you know how little kids are, right? You've got to be real careful about making a little kid a promise. You do. Because what, you know, our, our worship leader, uh, Jesse, uh, spoke a couple of weeks ago. And was it, what, what was it she said? You know, when my kids come and say, hey, can we do this? And we say, well, yeah, we might do that. That's a promise to a child. We're doing it. You know, a, a month might go by, two months go by, and it's gone from we might do that to you promised. And you look at them and say, I didn't promise. Well, you said we might, and, and that, so we should be doing it. See, we do that. But the, the strength of that promise is, is in direct correlation to your faith and your belief in the promise maker. Is the promise maker worthy? Because if the promise maker is not worthy, then the promise is not true. And you can't trust it. Look at it this way. Has the promise maker proven himself in the past? 
When you stop and somebody says, I'm making you this promise, can you look back into the past and say, well, he said he would do that and he did it. He said he would do this and he did it. He said he would do that and he did it. You know what I mean? It's kind of like that, you know, that, that meme, that post-it note. It's like, honey, I told you I would do that. Don't nag me every six months about it, okay? I'll get around to it. Okay, say, that's not a good promise. That is not a good promise. You're looking for a promise that you can depend on and joy Joy is that, that promise from God that you can count on that leaves you anticipating and knowing that beyond what you see around you, there's a promise coming. And you're going to cling to that promise. And yeah, we can, we can attribute that to Jesus' second coming. But I'm just talking about your everyday life. Because God wants to be in your everyday life. What is the promise that God has given to you? And that's what we're looking at today. We're going to look uh, at this passage in Luke chapter 2. This will be the last time this year that I preach out of Luke chapter 2. Um, I'm kind of like done with Luke chapter 2. I love Christmas, but I am so done with Luke chapter 2 this morning. It's like, can we get on to something else? But it's Christmas service, so we got to, you know, stay in, in there. And it's okay, because I still like what's going on. But do me a favor, and as we jump into Luke chapter 2, um, this passage, um, I, I want you to look at the atmosphere as, 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 as we read this together, it'll come up up there. I'm going to read it from my Bible. But as, as I read this, as you hear me reading and as you read along with me, look at what's going on in the atmosphere. Put yourself in that situation for a second, okay? Because I want to talk about the joy of it and how do we capture that joy. It says, and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were terrified. But the angel said, do not be afraid. Listen, if I was in my office praying to Jesus, and an angel of the Lord showed up, he would have to say, do not be afraid. If he got past Leah somehow and walked into my office, and I saw him, I would fall over dead, and he would have to say, do not be afraid, because I would be afraid. So that's the first thing he says when he shows up to the, to the shepherds. Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that shall be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born unto you. He is the Christ. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. We will find the baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly, if it didn't, the angel wasn't enough. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. Peace, peace to men on whom his favor rests. Did you see that category? Did you see that subtle subdivision? And peace on men, no. And peace on who his favor rests. There's a joy here that we're looking for and an excitement that's going on. When the angels had left them and gone into the heavens, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they just heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. And that's our story today. And it's the story that we've heard. And it's a story about what's going on. And it begins with these shepherds out in the fields watching over the flocks. 
And that's the thing that give us the understanding that Christmas did not really take place in December. Not that I'm trying to be funny, but it's just, it's the truth. It either took place um, uh, in uh, October or it took place in March. But the fact of the matter was, the shepherds were out with the flocks late at night, still outside. The flocks were not in town. They were not on the farm. They were not inside of the stable anywhere. They were out in the fields, and the shepherds were watching them. And we say, yeah, shepherds were watching flocks. Well, who are the shepherds? It's largely understood theologically that these shepherds are watching the flocks that actually belong to the temple because there's something about gathering people together and somebody does something that somebody else says, hey, I can do that a little bit better. And then they start rearranging things, especially if it's a situation of power. And all of a sudden they start cheating people or milking people or frustrating people. So listen to me as I'm saying this. It's largely understood that those flocks that they were watching were flocks that belonged to the temple and so therefore the shepherds were working for them that these flocks were for sacrifices in the temple. There's three compulsory um, um, sacrifices that have to take place every year. There's what's, there's what's called bloody sacrifices. You have to bring something that's going to be slain and the blood caught and sprinkled around and, and all those kind of things. And this is the way God set it up. He said to these people back in Moses' day, I want you to bring in the male, a, a, a sheep or goat, and I want it to be absolutely flawless. It has to be without spot or blemish. And you're going to bring it in and you're going to make sacrifice. Well, leave it to humanity that when there's something going on, we find a way to corrupt it and make a little money from it. Because it's understood that what was going on was there were flocks there so that when somebody did bring their sheep or their goat in and the, the, a priest rolled it over and found a flaw, then what's this guy going to do? He just traveled 50 miles and he brought this little sheep and, and so now he wants to sacrifice it and, but it's got a flaw so he can't sacrifice it. So typical humanity, hey, why don't you sell us that sheep at a reduced price and we'll sell you a temple sheep which is proven and bona fide and certified flawless for a slightly exaggerated price, okay? We're jacking it up. We found a way to make money off of the people that are just trying to get close to God. There was a guy down in Florida. I know I've shared this here before, but I was reading it like not, not in Time Magazine, but it was on something like that. And there was, there was a man down there, and his name was something to something to something to Jesus to Chavez. And in the picture in the article was a man about my age, about 55 years of, of age. He was a very large man. He was dressed in a really nice suit, and he had a, a, a glass of scotch. Might have been bourbon whiskey, I don't know, but it was, in my head it was a glass of scotch. And there were two, like, 22-year-old girls standing behind him with skirts on that only went down that far. Bless their little hearts, they couldn't find the rest of the material. And so it only went down that far. And, and it didn't hurt. They were absolutely stunning. And the whole article was about this man who had started a church, and this was, he was a Gnostic, okay, you can look that up, but the idea was that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, therefore your soul is purified and sanctified, but your body is still corrupt, and therefore your body can do whatever it wants to do. This is his gospel that he was preaching. He's like, you can do whatever you want to do, go ahead, sin, sin all the more, because grace will abound, because the soul inside of you is sanctified. That was his gospel. That didn't surprise me. There's people do that all over the world. What surprised me was this man reported millions upon millions upon millions of dollars being sent into him to fund his church. 
from all over because he had just made it okay for people to sin. See, he had found something that people were desperate for, and then he found a way to get around it. And I'm just telling you right now, anytime somebody says, listen, if you just want to pay me a little bit of money, you can sin all you want, and I'll tell you, and I'll make you feel guilt-free about it. And that's what he was doing. And they were reporting like a, a $7 million check that had come into this guy. It was just absolutely outrageous. Leave it to humanity to find a way to corrupt the system to make money off of it. And it's largely believed that that's what was going on. So here's these shepherds, and they're out there, and all of a sudden, boom, you know, um, this angel shows up and says, hey, don't fall over dead just yet. I got something I want to tell you. And then all of a sudden, it's the flash mob. You know, like, like five years ago, it was all the rage at Christmas to have a flash mob come in. Like, like you're shopping for your wife, and you know, maybe, maybe you're over here in Victoria's Secret, or maybe you're in JCPenney's, but all of a sudden, you're surrounded by 50 people watching you shop going, Hallelujah! And it scares the bejeebers out of you. You know? Can you imagine being the shepherds, then they're shopping, and it's like, Ha! We're all going to die. And it's like, that's the picture of what's going on. And so the angel has to say, hey, don't be afraid. It's all good. I've got some good news for you guys. I want to share something with you. Today, a child was born. You know, how many of you think Jesus was born at night? How many of you think Jesus was born in the morning while it was dark? How many of you think he was born just after lunch? How many of you think he was born? I'm just, oh, thank you. Woo! Man, this was getting, I was getting desperate. You know, I don't know about you, but Hallmark always makes it at night. I'm not sure what the deal is. Is it early morning and there's no sunlight or late night and there's no sunlight? But it, why wasn't it in the middle of the afternoon? I don't know. You know, I think most all of my kids were born when it was light outside. Um, but it was still early in the morning. And so here's this picture. <clears throat> and, the, and, and I love this part. The shepherds receive it. And can you just imagine the excitement and the joy? Because they, they would have known of the promised Messiah. He's coming. And I've shared that in a sermon before. But, you know, Moses talked about it, that God said through Moses, I'm going to raise up a prophet. He's like unto me. And he's going to tell you the truth. And you're going to have to listen to him. And you're going to have to do everything that he says. And it was a, it was a, it was a, a, a prophecy about Jesus. So they would have been looking for this prophet to come. And they were excited. They were so excited. But it didn't stop there. First, they were excited, and then they went and checked it out just to make sure. And I just want to tell you, there's nothing wrong with that. Nothing at all. It's kind of like the Bereans in the book of Acts. They received it for joy, and then they searched it out for themselves. See? And so we've got this picture. And then what's the next thing that the shepherds do? They run and tell everybody. They run and tell everybody. They need to tell everybody the truth about what they just learned, what they just saw, maybe what they just, um, can you imagine they walk into Mary, and, and I, I like babies. Um, I, I don't want them for very long, but I like babies. And so like when you bring me and show me your baby, I want to touch your baby. I mean, it's just, babies are soft. You know, in my head, babies are innocent. They're born sinners, but they're innocent. And, and, and it's like, I don't care to hold your baby. I will rock your baby to sleep for you. I really will. That does not bother me. And so I can imagine the shepherds going in and they're like, oh, it's just like they said. There's a baby and he's in the manger and he's wrapped in clothes. And there's, 
that late. Hey, are you Mary? You know, it's one of those. And there's like, can I touch the baby? Um, you know, is it really the son of God? Um, you know, it, it's, it's that sort of a story. But the important part is they had to go tell somebody. You remember when you got saved? Did you have to tell anybody? Was it important that people heard about what Jesus did? And, you know, I had a guy call me yesterday, and I won't go into it, but it was just like, this is so cool. I listened to this guy talk about this interaction he just had with somebody else, and Jesus set the appointment up, and it was just like, wow! And what I liked more than anything else, what I got off the phone thinking about was this man's excitement about what God had just done forced him and compelled him. He had to run and tell somebody. And I got the call. And it, I was honored. And at the same time, it was like, go God. I mean, I hope he works in this situation. But I liked him seeing, I like to watch God blow this guy's mind. So much so that he had to tell somebody. When was the last time you had an interaction like that with God? where you had to tell somebody. You just could not keep your mouth shut. No way. I need to tell you what God just did. It was amazing. It was crazy. So there's the shepherds. They go and they tell everyone. And they prove us a couple of things right here in this spirit of joy. And that is that joy is not dependent upon circumstances. Because they heard the angel they saw the choir. They met the baby. They told everybody they could. Then they went back to work. See, at some point, life gets normal again, if it ever can be. But they had something because of that encounter. They had hope. They had hope from there on out. The angel had given them hope. And then they went and saw the baby, so they had hope. The circumstances did not change for the shepherds. They were still shepherds, but there was great joy and there was excitement because of the focus that they had, which was hope. Joy is locked into your and my life when we read the scripture from the book of Hebrews. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God said, never will I leave you and never will I forsake you. My joy is not dependent upon my circumstance. My happiness is. And that's two different things. Yesterday I sat on the, um, on the driveway um, with my puppy Dolly. And I have a tennis ball and I'm trying to teach her to fetch the tennis ball. And she's learning it real fast. And so I took and I threw the tennis ball and she down over the little hill into the grass and she's so excited she found the tennis ball and she came back out and she's got great big giant feet and her feet are going and she's running at me so I've got my camera and I'm going click 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 and some of you are like yes Joe we saw the picture could you stop filling the web with Rottweiler pictures enough's enough and so here comes Dolly and she's and she puts the doll down or the ball down and she's like that and it's just like this is absolutely amazing and I forgot while I was sharing that with you because happiness is not locked into circumstances. I only thought that for a minute. I've, I've trained myself to say, if I say out loud, I forgot why I shared that, then it comes back in real fast. I say that because the dog made me happy. The puppy made me happy. I was happy. I was sitting on my driveway in the middle of the day. I'm sure people thought I was out of my ever-loving mind, my back to the road. Um, and, and I was happy. I was playing with Dolly. 
And then I took her inside where the adult Rottweilers are, and um, she goes in there and she's like that, and then she wants to jump and play and bite on them, and, and, and the, the male, he just run, boomer, he has to run and hide. But Millie, she's just barely not a puppy anymore herself, and so I've got a 112-pound dog, and I've got a 60-pound dog, and they start, they think the house is like a racetrack, and it's just, and then I'm not happy with Dolly anymore. I was happy circumstantially a minute ago. I'm not happy circumstantially because you're going to knock something over. And she's learned a couple of times as she goes by the presence that she can snatch a bow and keep on going. She might get away with it. And then when you go find her and she's got like red dye and this crunched up bow, and then I'm not in happy circumstances because then Pastor Janice is like, your dog. And it's like, uh, our dog <laughs> uh, ate your bow. Yes, yes, you should move your bows. And she, you should train your dog. It's like, okay, circumstantial. Joy is not circumstantial. You know, I'm dumbfounded. And I learned this lesson about joy not being circumstantial, but happiness is when I went to Guatemala one time. And it was going up a mountain. We were going up on top to feed a family that feeds families all the way down the mountain. And we were walking up the only trail that we could go. And right down the middle, literally down the middle of the trail, uh, about like that deep in the trail is the sewer line where all of these houses set on this hill. They have a standpipe that comes out from their, or their uh, um, outhouse, you know, and just dumps right in the middle of the path that everybody, it's like people think it through. Just think it through. That's all I'm asking you to do. But the crazy part was there were children playing up and down this hill laughing and carrying on. There was chickens having a good old time in the stream of it all. But um, there were children playing up and down and they were laughing and having a good time and they were desperately in poverty, but they didn't have an Xbox and they didn't have the internet and they didn't have things. And they were laughing and, and having a good time in the midst of it all. And they had made themselves a soccer ball out of what I'll say is duct tape or something. And they were playing. And then I went to Zimbabwe in an area where if we don't do something, that one little school, and we budgeted for it um, as a church, we're going to feed that little school uh, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday um, the whole year. It's going to cost about five or $6,000 of the budget of this church in 2020, but we're going to make sure that everybody in that school gets fed at least three times a week a solid. Yeah, you're going to do that. Yeah. But here's the deal. I, I'm, meeting, I'm meeting people, adults and children alike over there, that um, are in dire circumstances, three, or 536% inflation rate, and, and, and yet when they realize that you're there on a mission trip, they will grab a hold of you and say, hey, would you pray for me? And they've got a smile on their face. They don't know where they're going to eat or if they're going to eat today, and they're smiling, and they're not like, please pray for me. They're like, oh, could you pray for the favor of God on me? God has blessed my family. And it's like, no, you need more blessing in calories. But there's joy. And all they want you to do is pray for them that God will turn the circumstances in their whole nation around. And in those two things I see, joy is not circumstantial. Happiness is. But joy is not. So joy is not dependent on our circumstances. But joy comes from a long view. 
You've got to have a long view. You can't say, I'll have joy right here if God only. You've got to say, God made a promise. I trust him. I put my hope in him. It's long view. I'm looking down the line. Think about it for a second. God had a long view of God. Uh, excuse me, Noah had a long view of God that was true, that God was going to be true to his word. And so for 120 years, Noah built an ark. Noah built an ark for 120 years. How do you stay at that job for 100? Some of you can't stay at a job for three years. How do you stay at the same job for 120 years? Just building an ark. And it's like, there's not a cloud in sight. There's no rain. He said, it's going to rain. And you keep building, you keep building because you trust God. But you've got a long view that says, I'm in it for the long haul. I've got to stay at it. I can't quit. I can't let up. I've got to keep plugging away. And then about 100, 120 years into it, it starts sprinkling. And you say, what's this? And then it starts raining. And suddenly the promise is there. It's in the short view. But you've lived your life in the long view of the promise. Joseph had a long view, and he was faithful to God. God gave Joseph a dream. You're going to be in charge of your brothers and sisters. You're going to be in charge of your mom and dad. You're going to be the boss. And then Joseph went through so much trial and tribulation, and yet he stayed faithful to God. He said, no, God made me a promise. Let's just keep on a going. We're going to go for the long view. It's going to keep on a happening. So we don't have to worry about what's going on. All we got to do is keep on going. It's not looking at what it doesn't have. It's looking at the goal. When I went to Bible college, we, we didn't have a car. And, and I'm somebody that believes you ask God for what you want. I said, Lord, I don't have a job. I'm going to Bible college because you said. I think I'm going to need a Cadillac because it's 42 miles to the Bible college. So if you don't care to give me a Cadillac for two years to drive back and forth because I drive over and I stay for four hours, I come back and I'm going to need one. And God said, I got your back. Here's a 1979 Volkswagen Dasher. Uh, you're going to love it. It's a diesel. And, and I didn't say, no, I asked for a Cadillac. I said, look what I got. I got a Dasher. I don't have to walk. 42 miles to Bible college. I can drive the Dasher. Not the coolest thing on the road, but I don't care. I'm satisfied with what God gives me. I'm finding a place to find some contentment. Joseph was faithful because he had a long view. King David got anointed, but it was years before he became the king, but he had a long view and a promise from God. Moses, he kept his focus on the long view because God said, I'm going to take you into the promised land where it's flowing with milk and honey. And he could maintain his joy because his joy was based on a promise that was based on a long view that no matter what happens, we are headed to the promised land. He had reasons to break those tablets when he came down off the mountain and let the circumstances bring him anger. Marian, uh, excuse me, Aaron and Miriam challenged his leadership, his own brother and sister. It says the people wanted pagan gods. They made it life hard for him for 40 years. But Moses kept the long view. And were it, excuse me, not for his sin, he would have entered into the promised land. But he saw it. 
Paul, when he lists his struggles, writes about being shipwrecked, beaten, left for dead, in prison, whipped with 39 lashes. And then he writes, and count it all joy. Seriously? I don't know about you, but that's not my idea of doing church work. But it is for people around the world. It is. There are people that that's a reality for them if they stand up and name the name of Jesus. And yet Paul in all of this says, come on, let's count it all joy. This is a man that was beaten, that was stoned, was taken outside the city because they thought he was dead or at least he was going to die and they didn't need him dying inside the city. They needed him to die outside the city. So they hauled him outside, left him for dead and, and he got up and, and, and he easily could have said, where's my joy? But he had joy and he said, oh, let it be poured out upon me to finish the work of my Savior on this earth. It's like, wow, what about that? And then Jesus, but who for the joy set before him, endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He still had his joy in the midst of it all. Peter tells us that you and I are not alone in our sufferings when Paul tells us to be joyful. He says, resist the devil, stand firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering. You find yourself suffering and wondering where your joy is. Our joy comes from a long view. And then the last thing is that the long view understands the mission. When we go into Christmas and we want a holly jolly spirit of joy, we've got to understand that joy is not found in our circumstances, that joy always lives in the long view, not the short view and what I'm going through. But the long view understands the mission. Do you know what the mission is? Do you understand that what I'm living in right now, that this is not uh, uh, the reality, this is temporal, this is short term, this is going to die in 75 or 80 years, but the real, the eternal that's inside of this is going to go and live on. The scripture says that to be uh, apart from the body is to be present with God. So when I leave this body, I am in the presence of God. I'm there. So if I stay here, I'm going to preach the gospel. But if my life ends here, I'm going to be with God and it's a win-win. And that's why Paul said for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Because my goal is not to stay here on the planet. It's that I understand the mission to welcome other people, to invite them. That the gospel of Jesus Christ is not a rock that I throw at people. Rather, it's an invitation to come away from the same sinful lifestyle that Joe Wood was living before he surrendered his life to Jesus Christ. The long view understands the mission, but listen, we're not going to understand the mission if we don't get into the Word. There's got to be a place for you personally to be in the Word of God. You can't just come once a week and hear whoever stands up here expound on the Word of God and say, that's my diet for the week. God wants a close personal relationship with you that day in and day out, you get to spend time with Him. And if we're going to know what the mission is, we've got to know what Jesus said for ourselves. We can't make it say what we want it to say. We've got to own what it actually says. What does the Bible say about what the Bible says? That's the important thing. Not because of rules and regulations, but so that we can understand the mission from a long view understanding. Paul tells us, therefore, don't lose heart 
Outwardly, we're wasting away. Inwardly, we're being renewed day by day. This is a man full of joy. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs all of those troubles. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but rather on what is unseen, since what is seen in front of you is temporary, but what is unseen inside of me is eternal. People's souls. That's the goal. Do we understand the long-term view of the mission of Jesus Christ? Because we need to be living in joy. Not always happiness, but joy. On Christmas morning or Christmas Eve evening, you'll celebrate your Christmases. And paper will be torn and gifts will be handed and there will be laughing and, and there will be lots of happiness. But the joy comes from knowing the person that is the reason for the season of Christmas. I've got a close personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and it does not matter what this world does. It does not matter who's sitting in the White House. It does not matter what my neighbor does and does not have. It does not matter if people recognize me and give me the promotion. It does not matter. If somebody walks out on me, it will hurt. But the truth of the matter is my joy is in eternity. And I live in eternity now, not later. I live in eternity right now. So for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So my joy is here. 2020, this last quarter has not been a good quarter at the Wood House. I'm tired of the enemy coming against us, car accidents and, and uh, cysts and hysterectomies and, and you name it. I'm tired of it. But it has not stopped me from being joyful. It has not stopped me from saying, get thee behind me, Satan, and saying, come on, 220, 2020. I know God is about to do something because I already know what the word is for 2020. And I'm excited for it. I'm not telling you. I'm not even going to let it slip a little bit this year. But I am so looking forward to it. And should the Lord tarry, we're looking forward to potentially a new hire. It's time to have another pastor. We re released one a year ago, and we've been doing all of those responsibilities, and it's wearing on the staff. And so 2020 is going to see another staff member coming on board. How can we possibly lose heart when we know that God is for us? So how do we not lose heart? Real quick. A long view. Here's the word. A long view. Here's the word. Do you hear the word? Do you hear the word that Christ is coming back? And he's going to get us. Do you hear Paul telling the church in Thessalonica, listen, I don't want you to be ignorant, brothers and sisters. For the trumpet will sound and the dead in Christ will rise and those of us that are still alive will be caught up in the air with them. It's going to happen. The world is going nuts. Just like it says in Matthew 24 and 25. And so I stand here and say, why does this surprise you? Why does it upset you? Take a deep breath. We win. We just got to live it out. And that means making disciples. That means living with integrity. It means we know the promise. 
The long view knows the promise. What promise are you clinging to? Are you clinging to promises that promise you everything but cost you nothing? Oh, God's going to give me a new house. God's going to give me a new car. God's going to give me a new spouse. God's going to give me this. God's going to give me that. Or are you clinging to the promise that, that the Holy Spirit will be in you and will move you and you will be able to make disciples and God will bring healing if you'll just relax yourself and take him at his word. And, and that doesn't mean he has to do what we say because we believe in the now and the not yet. And we can talk about that later. But we understand the kingdom of God has crashed down in the person of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit resides in us and he's not leaving from being in you but he's waiting on you to believe it enough to start acting upon it I know the promise that I'm clinging to and they're not promises that promise me everything and cost me nothing so many people want to know the plans that God has for them but they don't want to hear God say deny yourself take up your cross and follow me Deny yourself means it's not about you anymore. When you surrender your life to Jesus Christ, the mission is not about you. You are a part of the mission. Deny yourself. doesn't mean you can't have fun on the planet, enjoy life. It just means that life's not about you. You are not the center of everyone's world. Take up your cross. That means count yourself dead. Whether they kill me or whether I live, I go on being obedient so I don't have to be afraid of dying. Yes, I'll jump off the bridge in Victoria Falls. You bet I will. What if the rope snaps? I go home. I go home. My fault or not, I go home. I'm not afraid of that and I don't want to live in fear of that. I know the promise that I'm clinging to and I'm clinging to appropriate ones. More than anything else, you heard Pastor Jana say a couple of weeks ago, Christmas is a spirit of waiting. The long view waits proactively. The long view waits with the understanding that we may be here because we don't understand God's timing, but we will act and live like it's right now. We will be obedient. Do you live waiting for God to drop that marriage on your head? Do you live waiting for God to give you a new job? Do you, do you live waiting for your finances to get straightened out? Or do you live proactively and start taking steps to make it happen and, and force your, your life circumstances into the joy of a long view? This says it's time for me to take steps. A long view that waits proactively looks for God every day. Because listen, you don't want to miss the moments waiting for the years. You don't want to miss the moments waiting for the years. Live right here with God right now and celebrate. And when you've got a chance, make things better. But stop saying you can't make it better. Stop waiting on somebody else. So you, want a, you want a better job? Go to college. You're too old to go to college? You're the one listening to your own lie. You're not. You never have been. You just have to change your whole lifestyle to make it happen. Oh, that's too much work, isn't it? Okay, so it really is on you. It really is on you. And God's got plans for you that he wants you to enter into. And there's a life to lay hold of that is full of joy, but not always happiness. To enter into Christmas this year, we want joy. 
Today I say with King David, whose lineage Jesus came from, restore to me, Lord, not the finances, not the treasures, not the throne. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. The joy of that moment that the angel showed up in my soul and said, don't be afraid, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a king, the Lord's Christ. And I had to tell everybody, restore to me that joy, God. Restore to me the holly jolly spirit of Christmas. Joy. These people are up here because we enter into Christmas and it's not always joyful, is it? I hear people say over and over again that Christmas is not easy for everybody and that we should be mindful. Listen, I agree. The scripture calls us to mourn with those who mourn. But let me challenge you that are mourning. The scripture says to rejoice with those who are rejoicing. So to those of you that are rejoicing, I would say be mindful of those that are mourning. Those of you that are mourning, stop trying to make it all about you. And I'm sorry if that hurt a little bit. But the scripture challenges you to rejoice with those who are rejoicing. It's not just one-sided. It's two-sided. And so we come together as a community, as a family, to celebrate the joy that we have in Christ Jesus. And we do it by caring for each other when we rejoice and when we mourn. And I want to encourage you in that. Some of you are in here and this is difficult. Some of you don't know this joy. Some of you have lost this joy. I want to encourage you because today is the first day of the week. I want to encourage you to go into the week of Christmas counting on the joy of Christmas. The baby who came because he loves you who died because he wants you back into the family, who was raised from the dead to show you that this isn't all there is. I want to see that joy in your life. These people want to pray with you. If you're going through a struggle that's robbing you of a joy, then when I'm done praying, just come on up here, come up here when we're singing this last song, but come up here and receive and say, God, I, I don't want to leave without that joy. Restore to me this joy. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we just want to thank you and praise you for being here. We want to thank you for the love of God in Jesus Christ that was promised to us that you are here to empower us in and to remind us of and to teach us all things about. Let us be lovers of souls, lovers of men, lovers of enemies, God. Let us be lovers of people that are a thorn in our flesh, lover of people that hurt people, but lover of people that need to know you, God. And where we are without our joy going through a drought, not feeling the Christmas yet, God, I just ask and pray that you would overwhelm us. Make it be about finding joy and serving and loving other people. And then pour that back into our lives. Grieve with us, certainly, Lord. And then turn that morning into dancing. We ask this and release this upon this congregation in the name of Jesus the Christ, the very child himself. Amen.